So if you're new or maybe just catching up, um, we are finishing up today uh, our summer series, our first summer series, entitled The New Testament Times. And uh, we're exploring some stories in the New Testament that are maybe familiar, uh, that are maybe a little bit uh, unfamiliar, and we're looking at them as if they were actual headline news in, in the newspaper, if they were actual um, breaking news on your television. And so it's our hope that as we've been moving through this series that you're not that you're not just hearing some good sermons, that you're not just walking out of here at the, at the end of the day and saying, oh, that was great, huh, some good things to think about, right? Our hope is, is that you are falling more and more and more in love with that book that you hold in your hands today. That God's word is coming alive for you, that what we experience here on Sundays, that's just sort of the icing on the cake to you being in God's word all throughout the week. I don't know about you, but I love that book. I love the Bible. I know that just seems elementary and it seems like, well, you're a pastor. You probably should, right? I love that book. And I would read it even if it wasn't assigned to me. I would read it even if I wasn't a pastor because it's so good. And I don't know about you, but for me, if there's, if there's long stretches in between times that I don't read it and I'm sitting down with it and I just know that I need to experience God, something incredible happens. And the, Actually, the first thing that goes through my head is, John, why don't you read this more often, right? Does anybody experience that? It's, it's so good. And that is my prayer for you, every single one of you, that we're not just coming here every single week and we're going through the motions, that you are falling more and more in love with God's word. And most importantly, that you're falling more in love with the author of that book, God himself. That, that this summer that we would press in it, that the end of this summer, that we would know Jesus in a more intimate and deep way than we do right now. Amen? Amen? That's our hope. That's our hope. So how do we do that? How do we get to know him more deeply? If that's our goal every single week, well, we get to know his son. We get to know the hero of the headlines. We need to get to know the man behind the miracle, right? We've been looking at all these miracles. What about the man behind the miracle? So if you can, pull out your little newspaper, your bulletin, just shake it out. Everybody just kind of shake it like this, as if you got your uh, Sunday morning paper there. You got your register. Just shake it out. And up at the top there is a big, bold heading that's got our headline news for today. And so if everybody's got that, with all the post-4th of July gusto, barbecue day, Hope Des Moines gusto that you have, let's read that uh, all together, uh, the headline right up at the top. Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Pretty incredible stuff. I would say that's worth looking into. So, as always, with our headline news, let's take a look at what they found. Jesus feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. With the day coming to an end, there was still a crowd of people gathered near Jesus. The disciples urged Jesus to send them home, for they did not believe they had enough food to feed so many people in such a remote place. But Jesus thought differently and told the disciples to feed the people with the five loaves and two fish that they had. After Jesus gave thanks, the disciples handed out the food to the crowd. More than 5,000 people were fed. And, amazingly, there was even more food left over than when they began. All right, let's thank our production team for those videos. Those are pretty cool. Absolutely. 
So I would say that story is worth looking into. So put down your bulletin and take out your Bible and let's turn to Matthew chapter 14 together. That's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 14. I always feel like I'm going to see the three stooges pop up in those videos for some reason. Matthew chapter 14. Now, with many of these stories, it would be tempting to think that, to, to, to say, oh, it's just one more miracle, right? For you to say, well, I went to Sunday school growing up. I've heard this story before. You know, Jesus does the lunchbox thing, and now we got food for 5,000 people. But I, I, I just want to ask you this morning, when for you do you stop and say, with a lot of these familiar stories in Scripture, when do you just stop and say, God, I want more than just the Sunday school version? When do you stop and say, God, I, I really want to know the deeper truth here. God, I want to know your heart. And we get to know God's heart through studying about his son, Jesus. So what is it that's really going on here? Well, it turns out that when we arrive on the scene here in Matthew chapter 14, if you've been reading along at home during the week, this is, this is well into Jesus' ministry. And he's already healed the blind. He's already cast out demons. Uh, he's already cured terrible diseases. And it would almost lead us to believe that by this time, Jesus doesn't really need to do one more magic trick just to prove that he's God, right? I think he's already done that, right? Does the God of the universe need to show off any more than he does every single day? <laughs> the sun comes up. Have you, have you seen one of the sunsets this summer yet? Have you been to the mountains? Have you seen a rainbow? Have you ever looked up at the stars? God doesn't need to show off, right? And it leads us to believe that maybe the primary reason that Jesus does these miracles in the New Testament is not just to show off. Maybe there's a story behind the story. Maybe there's a man behind the miracle. So my challenge for you today is as we walk through this story, I want you to put yourself in the, in the shoes of the disciples, right? So disciple literally means apprentice, right? So the 12 disciples that are following Jesus, they're not these like 12 biblical scholars that Jesus found in the temple, right? It's a ragtag bunch of people that don't have it all together, kind of like us, right? So Jesus just says, you, 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 right? And they're apprenticing Jesus. He is their rabbi and they're following him around and watching what Jesus does and doing what Jesus tells them to do. So put yourself in the position of being an apprentice of Jesus and let's watch what happens and ask yourself the question, what does Jesus want to show me today? So let's start at verse 13. Just a little bit of background to this story. In verse 13, it says this, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. So right away we need some context, right? What news, right? What did Jesus just hear? And as it turns out, the message, the news that Jesus just heard is quite tragic. It's quite tragic. It's quite sad. In fact, a few weeks ago, we heard the story of John the Baptist, right? And we talked about him coming and preparing the way for Jesus and baptizing Jesus. In fact, John the Baptist was Jesus' own cousin. He was Jesus' second cousin. So they are of blood relation. They're pretty close. Well, as it turns out, John was preaching about repentance, and that message didn't really sit well with everyone, especially King Herod. King Herod didn't like that too much because it was a threat to his power. And so King Herod sends some people and orders John killed. He actually gets beheaded, right? This is sort of the PG-13 rated R ver uh, version of the Bible right here. Um, and so Jesus just found, finds out right before this story that his family member has been murdered, right? Everything's been going along great for Jesus. He's doing ministry. The crowds are following him. He's growing in popularity. And then, bam, tragedy. Have you ever been there? 
you just kind of, life just sort of seems to be on cruise control, and then all of a sudden, tragedy, and grief, and you're overwhelmed, and you have fears, and you have anxiety, and you have stress just out of nowhere. Have you ever been there? Yeah. And you know what Jesus says to you today? So have I. If we just sort of skip over the story, we'll say, oh, Jesus, 5,000, awesome. Look at the context of the story. Jesus is reeling. It's in stories like this that we often forget that Jesus, although he was 100% God and was a miracle man, he was still a man. Jesus was still 100% human, which means he's experienced everything that you have or will experience in your life. That's why he's the greatest leader of all time. He knows exactly what you're going through today. So not only that, not only is he dealing with grief, but just a chapter before this, in chapter 13, Jesus has been to his hometown of Nazareth, and he doesn't really get a welcoming parade reception. In fact, they say, get out of here. We don't have anything to do with you anymore. So think of your hometown right now. (laughs) Think of your hometown, and think of going back there as a fully grown adult, being 30 years old as Jesus was. Think of going back there, and everybody that you grew up with, all your high school classmates, all your teachers, your piano teacher, all your friends on the block, and they say, We don't have anything to do with you. Get out of here. Ever felt rejected or abandoned? So is Jesus. He knows everything that you're going through right now. So not only is he struggling with grief, not only is Jesus rejected by his closest friends and family, but he's probably emotionally and physically exhausted. They didn't have cars back then. They didn't have carriages. Jesus walked everywhere with these 12 dudes. Everywhere that they went. So Jesus is exhausted right? The last thing that he wants to do is be around a large group of people. Now, let's flip ahead to chapter 14. Jesus encounters a large group of people. So the setting for this miracle is anything but ideal for Jesus. He's hard-pressed on every side. What do you do when you're stressed out? What do you turn to? Do you turn to things on the internet Do you, do you turn to alcohol? What do you turn to? Do you turn to television to, to get that fix? Or do you turn to your heavenly father? And that's exactly what Jesus did. He left in a boat, verse 13, to a remote area to be alone. And this time it ends up being sort of one of Jesus' retreat centers, and it's the town of Bethsaida. So in fact, all throughout the Gospels, we see this rhythm with Jesus. He does some ministry, and then he disappears. And then he does some more ministry, and then he disappears. All throughout the Gospels, there's this rhythm, work, rest, work, rest. Do you have that kind of rhythm in your life? When do you rest? When do you simply be? When, do you, when are you a human being, not just a human doing, right? Jesus knew how to abide, and that's a very good lesson for us today as well. Jesus had this intimate relationship with his father between doing ministry and then being alone with God. He had this relationship where he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt, as he spent time with his father every single day, he knew, Father, everything that I need for them, I get from you. Everything that I need for them, I get from you. And remember that phrase as we move forward. So it's at one of his lowest points when all he wants to do is be alone, (laughs) verse 13. But the crowds heard where Jesus was headed and followed him on foot from many towns. Verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat 
and he had compassion on them. Now, I want you to imagine, put yourself in this situation. You have worked six months in a row. You have worked 12-hour days. You have worked 70-hour weeks, and you are exhausted. And you have been looking forward to your fishing trip for so long. And you've got this remote cabin out in the woods in northern Minnesota, and you're so excited to get away from Des Moines, and you have been working so hard, and you finally get there, and you step out of the boat, and you walk up to the... Because it's, it's so remote, you had to go there by canoe. You get out of the boat, you walk up the hill, you see your lovely cabin, and there are 50 of your coworkers. Ugh, Right? And you walk up and they say, oh, we have some emails that you need to check and we have some things on your to-do list. And actually, could you go to this meeting? Could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? <sighs> I think Jesus knows what you and I deal with. He felt the exact same thing. And so Jesus stepped from the boat and he was frustrated with them and he yelled at them. No, that's not what it says. Jesus stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them. It's important when we read the Gospels to not just watch what Jesus says, it's to watch how Jesus lived as a servant leader. Greatest leader of all time. So that's what the the situation was that day. For most of us, we'd say, what is it with you people? Get away. Can a guy just find a moment of peace? Just one moment of peace. But that's not what Jesus did. 5,000 people were fed that day because Jesus chose compassion over frustration. How do you react when you're squeezed? How do you react when you're stressed out? What do you do? What do you turn to? Jesus models that for us in this story. So, verse 15, here's my favorite part. Here come the disciples. And in verse 15, uh, it says this. Actually, let's read together what the disciples say to Jesus. This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Now, send them away, Jesus. Uh, Send them away. But we'll give the disciples credit. They got it half right, right? All these people are here. And that 5,000, that's just men. That's not women and children. So we're talking maybe eight to 10,000 people here. We're not, we don't know for sure. That's a lot of people. So the disciples, I want you to notice something. How many options did the disciples give Jesus when they come to him? How many options? (laughs) One, right? Did you notice by the time the disciples came to Jesus, they'd already made up their mind what needs to happen? Did they ever think about asking the Son of God for his opinion? When's the last time you asked God for his opinion? Or is your life just sort of on cruise control and you're the captain of your own ship? Not not just big things like who should I marry and where should I live and what job should I take. Day-to-day decisions. When's the last time you asked God for his opinion? See, a lot of times I think we treat our lives and and our prayer life as sort of an evening newscast where God doesn't know anything and our prayer life becomes us informing God. It's kind of an announcement prayer is what it is. And so we sit down and uh, God is watching us, the television, and we say, okay, well, welcome to the John Annanson Evening News. And uh, God just wanted to give you a few updates here uh, since you don't know. Um, God, I just wanted to let you know that uh, we did go ahead and buy that house, even though we're going to be in debt for uh, 85 years. Um, but we went ahead and did it anyway. Um, oh, God, I thought I'd let you know. Um, I didn't ask, but I did go ahead and take that job. So hopefully that works out. Uh, that that's good with you. Actually, you know, God, uh, things aren't going too well at work. Um, man, I just, I don't like my coworkers at all, and I'm, I'm really stressed out, and so I've just decided to kind of start doing the Friday night uh, bar hopping thing, and, and that works uh, for a while. 
and then I go back and do it again next week. But uh, that's not really uh, uh, for you to decide. Um, God, actually, things aren't going too well at home either with the marriage. Um, so I just decided if I, if I DVR Dr. Phil every day, that should help. Um, read a few more magazines and a few more books, because God, I know you're really busy. You're the God of the universe, so I didn't think you'd have anything to say about my marriage. Silly. Oh, John, that's silly. Well, that's what I do a lot. And maybe that's what you do as well. Announcement prayers. When's the last time you stood back and said, God, I'm going to let you do the talking in my prayer time? What the disciples didn't realize is that Jesus had a plan. (laughs) And it wasn't to send the people away. Are you pursuing God's agenda today? For your life, or are you pursuing your agenda for your life with God's name stamped on top of it? That's an important question to ask. For the disciples, it seemed obvious. There's, there's no way out of this situation. Jesus, send them home. But the underlining question isn't just a lapse of judgment, it's a lack of trust. I mean, you can almost hear the inner thoughts of the disciples. You know, um, wow, Jesus, you know, it's getting late here, and um, I know that you've done some pretty incredible things, but uh, I don't really know how you're going to get out of this one, Jesus. The, the whole blind man with the spitting in the mud and the eyes, that was really cool, Jesus. Really didn't see that one coming at all. But 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. That's more than is sitting here today. That's a lot of people, Jesus. And so we don't necessarily trust you. It's a lack of trust, and it's everywhere. And I think that lack of dis, that, that distrust that we have in God gets embedded at us in a very early age. The hillside that day full of tired and cranky and hungry people, I was thinking about it this week, and that actually reminds me a lot of the Bible Camp Dining Hall, if you can imagine with me. Now just go with me for a second here. Um, I spent eight summers at Riverside Bible Camp in Story City uh, doing different things, and some of you have gone there or worked there or will be sending your kids there, and it's going to be an awesome time. I learned a lot. It's going to be an awesome Christ-centered experience for you. Of the many things that I learned, one of the things that I learned was that some days in the dining hall, there is not much difference between dinner and your local cattle feed. So let me explain. You put 300 sticky, smelly, dirty, hungry adolescents in a confined area, and what do you get? Desperation, okay? Desperation. And it kind of smells like a combination of wet socks, chips, and Kool-Aid, okay? So kind of put that all together. Um, and that's what it smells like. So I may be exaggerating, but I'm not exaggerating when it comes to the one thing that no camper at Riverside Bible Camp could do without, Oreo fluff, okay? Anybody had Oreo fluff before? You know what this looks like? I don't have a picture of it, but Oreo fluff is basically you put some dirt and Cool Whip together and you mix it together, and that's fun, right? That's fun to eat uh, for these kids. So just to give you an idea, um, Wendy, go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, This is your camper at the beginning of the week. Everybody see that okay, right? They're just happy. They're chipper. This is your child at the very beginning of the week. Um, This is your child on Oreo fluff, okay? So that's what that, that looks like, something like that. And they actually decrease in age during the week that they're at camp, too. So I don't know what happened with that. But for some reason, every single Thursday night, Oreo fluff in the dining hall in bulk, in bulk. And it always seems like we had a lot left over, like 12 bins left over. Hmm. So, uh, tons of Oreo fluff. And so what would happen is the campers um, were so worried, their number one fear is, what if there's not enough Oreo fluff? 
That was their number one fear. And we knew this because our cook would um, come out of the kitchen with a seconds bell. They would just have a bell, ding, 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 that they would ring. And the campers watched that door. And whenever that cook would come out with their little bell, it was like the holding gate at the beginning of the Kentucky Derby. Okay? So you can imagine a concrete floor, right? And then the chairs and the sound they make. And all of a sudden, they see the cook with the bell. And they're scooting up, right? And they're all they have, their, 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 their butts on the edge of their seat. And they're looking. And they're like in the starting running position like this. And they just have their beady eyes just full of desperation, right? And they're just looking, right? And then the cook comes out. And then it's, it's just silence. And there's a hush. And everybody's waiting. And then ding, 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 ding. And then it's like the great Oreo fluff extravaganza. And kids are running up and they're throwing elbows and there's Oreo fluff flying everywhere. And so being the good camp counselor that I was, one day I decide I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm tired of this. So I'm sitting in my chair and I'm leaning back. And all of a sudden, what seemed like out of midair, this kid's just diving for the Oreo fluff. And I just reach out and I grab his shirt and I pull him down. And he's huffing and puffing. And I get him to stand still just long enough to look into his eyes of sheer panic. What are you doing to me, John? I'm not going to get enough Oreo fluff. And I look him right in the eyes and I say, Dude, what's the worst thing that could happen if you don't get enough Oreo fluff? (sighs) Well, well, yeah, he had nothing. And so being the nice and loving and compassionate Bible camp counselor was, I looked that little eight-year-old boy right in the eyes and I said, yeah, that's what I thought. No, I didn't say that. Come on, jeez. How a Bible camp do you think this is? I simply looked him in the eyes and I said, hey, buddy, do you trust me that there's going to be enough? I mean, really, Do you really trust me? Just a few chapters before Jesus feeds 5,000, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says to his disciples, Hey guys, do you see the birds of the air? They neither sow nor reap nor store away their food in barns, yet your heavenly Father provides for them. It's almost like Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Hey guys, do you trust me? And maybe he looks at you today, whatever you're dealing with, and Jesus says, Do you really trust me? Whatever's going on. Not just when things are going well for you. Not just when things are ideal in your life. Not when you just get that new job. Or not just when... Uh, not just when you find that special someone to spend the rest of your life with, not when you finally get that house, not when, excuse me, not when your marriage is perfect, not when the kids are behaving just perfectly, not when you have everything that you want, but right now, here today, in the in-betweens of life, Jesus looks at you and he says, do you trust me that I'm going to provide everything you need? Not necessarily everything that you want, but everything that you need. Do you trust me? Again and again and again, Jesus trying to get the disciples to understand what he knew, the truth he knew with his Father. Everything I need, I get from you. Everything I need, I get from him. 
So in response to the disciples' stress and, and frantic decision, Jesus stares into this impossible situation. I just I want you to just imagine it here. And let's go to this next slide. This is what Jesus responds to the disciples that day. Let's read this together. That isn't necessary. You feed them. <laughs> right, Jesus. We'll feed them, right? I mean, I trust you in everything, but... Right, we should feed them. And I love in these stories how the disciples are so... Um, they're so patient with Jesus to tell him what he really doesn't understand about the situation, right? Okay, see, Jesus, um, yeah, you've been preaching for about four hours now, so I think we need to send everybody home. Bethsaida's kind of a small town. Uh, I don't see any fast food around here, just a Casey's on the corner down there. So I don't think that there's going to be enough for everybody. So Jesus, I think we just need to send them home. Jesus asked the disciples, well, he tells them, you feed them. You feed them. So imagine the situation here, and let's drop in on the mountainside that day, and uh, uh, here you're Peter. And so Peter says, um, hey Jesus, um, yeah, how's it going? Uh, you've been going on for a while now, and uh, it's getting a bit late, so we should probably send them all away. Is that okay with you, Lord? Oh, what's that? <laughs> we should feed them. Oh, um, right, um, uh, Jesus, have you noticed how many people are here? Right, over five. Yeah, you counted already. Okay, good. Um, good. Um, Jesus, um, with what exactly, what are we supposed to feed them with? What's that? Oh, we should find something with them. In, oh, okay. Uh, well, Jesus says we need to find something we got here today. So does anybody have anything that they uh, could offer? Anybody? Oh, um, and A&W uh, candy. Anybody else? Anything else that they have um, to offer? Oh, a mint. Good. Um, check that guy's breath later. Um, good. Uh, what do we got here? Oh, my. What is that? Easter M&Ms. Let's not eat those. Um, thanks for bringing those. Uh, M&Ms. Uh, what else? Anybody have anything else? Uh, anyth- oh, good. We got some back there. Oh, thank you. It is a strawberry fruit strip. Thank you. Anybody have anything else? Oh, thank you. Well, heads up. Ooh, lemon drops. Those must be from Living History Farms. Okay, thank you. Anything else? Oh, we got something in the back. All right. The young couple with the Cheerios. That's right. The essential for church. Good. Um, okay, anybody, anything else? Or is that it? Pretty much we got everything? Okay, good. So let's see. Uh, we got the fruit strip, and we got the uh, mint, the A&W, uh, lemon drops, uh, the uh, M&M's. Uh, what's that, Jesus. Uh, no, just the regular, not the peanut. Right. Okay, good. Um, and the Cheerios. Good. Thank you um, for that. So we got those. And then, oh, a last, oh, oh, um, a basket with some loaves. Uh, definitely the unleavened kind, uh, Jesus. Thank you. So we got that. Um, I didn't bring the fish up, just as an FYI, to spare you um, for that. So thank you. So we've got um, all of that. Um, thank you. Um, the question I want to ask you today um, is with all this stuff, it seems a bit ridiculous, doesn't it, that Jesus would feed 5,000 that day. You have to understand that in the culture of that day when the boy brought his lunch, that children weren't even counted in the name of the miracle, that children weren't of very much value, if at all. So you can imagine the little boy's look on his face and said, the, the, the rabbi wants this? He, he could really use that? But Jesus turns and he says to the disciples, well, what, what do you have? What do you have? 
And I think Jesus asked that question to you today. What do you have? What are your loaves and fish today? What is in your life that gift, that passion, that talent, whatever it is that you have that in, in, in worldly math, it doesn't really add up to much. In worldly math, it doesn't seem like that much except to you, but in God math, he's just waiting for you to offer up your basket and say, it's not mine, it's yours. Really? The rabbi could use this? The rabbi could use what's in my basket? And then we skip ahead to verse 18, and Jesus says this incredible thing, bring it to me. Five loaves and two fish, Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring it to me. What are your loaves and fish today? What are those things that Jesus is calling you to give to him? I think about so many of you who uh, the first time that you heard the, the, the thought ran through your mind of leading a, a small group, a life group here at City Branch, you said, no, excuse me, at Hope Des Moines, said, no, no, absolutely not. I, I could never do that. You want me to open up my home, you want me to be hospitable, and you want me to sort of facilitate a conversation about faith and actually invite some of those weird people that I sit next to on Sundays. Are you kidding? And three years later, we have 15 small groups. It's not yours, it's his. Your house isn't yours, it's his. Your time isn't yours, it's his. I also think about some of you who, the, those of you who continue to serve in so many ways, especially, uh, maybe some of you don't know, there's a group of people that, that serve just by driving a van on Sunday morning, and they go around and they pick up a lot of you that aren't able to get here because you don't have your own transportation. All because some people said, it's not my time on Sundays. Well, it's his. It's just on loan to me. So God, I'm, I'm giving it back to you because it's yours anyway. It's not mine. It's his. I think about us as a church. Some of you might be saying, well, no, I don't want to. I, I want to be city branch, right? I don't want God to tell us I like the church just as it is. I don't want the church to grow. I want to stay in Hubble because I can just walk over here. God, I want the church to be what I want it to be. And God says, give it to me. Give it to me. It's not your church. It's his. Whatever's in your basket, give it to him. What are your loaves and fish today? And you say, oh, you know, John, I could never be one of those KQ shepherds. I, I, I could never sign up for one of those mission projects that, that all of you do around town. I, I, I'm just not a smart enough Christian to lead a small group. Uh, uh, join the worship team? Are you kidding me? Uh, well, even though people say I have a lovely voice and I've been singing my whole life and I should do it for the glory of God. But what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if it's not enough? What if people look at me strange? What if it's not enough? What if it's not enough? And you ask that to the small team of dreamers who a few years ago said, I wonder if a church like Lutheran Church of Hope, just one church, could actually make an impact on world poverty and world hunger. And millions and millions of fed people later, you ask that question to a little loaves and fish project called Meals from the Heartland who this fall is going to feed, oh, four million people. Give it to me, Jesus says. It's not mine. It's yours. So you might be wondering, John, well, what about the miracle? We haven't gotten to the big shebang, the big magic trick yet. Right? What's up with that? Well, you've got to know by this time, 
is that by the time that Jesus gets to the blessing of the food and distributing it to the disciples, his number one concern is not that you go, wow, look at all the food. His number one concern for you today is that your heart is his. Because Jesus knows, he knew back then 2,000 years ago, and he knows today that we will never be satisfied. We will never be satisfied if we are always seeking the gifts instead of the giver himself. We will never be satisfied if we're always just looking for, God, what can I get out of this Christianity thing? What can I consume out of this church? Instead of, what can I bring and put in his hands? What are those things that you are keeping in your basket that Jesus is saying, give to me, but you're holding it back and saying, no, I think I'm a better leader. I'm a better director of my life than you are, Jesus, so I'm just going to keep it in my own basket. But we know that the story doesn't end there. We read in verse 19, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples who distributed it to the people. Now again, I want you to imagine the scene here. So we got Peter and Andrew, we'll call them Pete and Andy, and they're hanging out and Jesus tells them to do the impossible. So, okay, what's that, Jesus? We're supposed to pass it out. Okay, okay, so what he says, we'll just make a couple of lines. He'll break it, split it up. It shouldn't take very long at all, right? So go ahead and break this. Okay, and I'll thank you, Jesus. And uh, uh, here you go, sir. That um, Actually, that is going to be the last because we don't have very much. And um, Oh, oh, there's, there's more. Okay, well, uh, here you go. And uh, there's plenty where that came from. And uh, there you go. And uh, oh, there's more. And then you just imagine the scene. should be about it. Okay. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Look at all this. M&M's, Tic Tacs, Trail Mix, Peanut M&M's, Reese's Pieces, everything you can, gummy bears, more bread, more fish, everything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody has some. Everybody has some, and I want you to imagine this morning as we close, I want you to imagine Jesus watching the disciples and that, that, that idea, that, that, that absolute truth getting engraved in their hearts and minds over and over and over again. Everything that I need for them, I get from him. Everything that I need for them, I get from him. Everything I need for them, I get from him. Everything I need for them, I get from him. And you can imagine just a few chapters later when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Boy, that reminder comes in handy, doesn't it? Everything we need to reach them, we get from him. A powerful reminder. Maybe that day, it wasn't about the abundance of food as it was about Jesus getting the disciples to truly believe that his strength was made perfect in their weakness. That really, in the end, this isn't about us. It's about him. Maybe it's time for you today, if you've forgotten, to hop back into that feeding line on the mountain that day and pass those loaves and fishes down and be reminded everything you need 
you get from him. Everything you need for your marriage, you get from him. Everything you need for your finances, you get from him. Everything you need for transportation, you get from him. Everything you need for your walk with God, I get from him. Because don't forget how this day started. With Jesus alone, on his knees, saying, God, I don't think I can do it alone. And being reminded, everything I need to do any miracle, I get from you, Father. And 5,000 plus people fed later, Jesus reminds every single one of us today, never, never underestimate what I can do. Amen? Let's stand together.